Welcome to Leveraging Leadership, where we unpack the art of business leadership. I'm your host, Emily Sander, Chief of Staff turned Executive Leadership Coach. In this series, we dive into the role of Chief of Staff, exploring how it can be a game changer and pivotal player on your leadership team. You'll get a backstage pass and learn about the different aspects of the role and what it takes to excel in it. We'll hear from some incredible guests who have firsthand experience serving as Chief of Staff or collaborating with one on their team. And don't forget, the Chief of Staff isn't just a title of person, it represents a leadership philosophy. Leveraging leadership is all about finding your points of greatest influence and leveraging them to better serve those around you. Wesley, thank you so much for joining. This is, I can already tell, I can already tell it's gonna be a fun conversation. Already. Yes, so let's set the stage for folks. So give us kind of a snapshot of, of where you came from and how you got into uh, your current role and what you're doing now. That's a great question. And I think the the way I found myself in, on my current career path um, wasn't intentional to start out, right? So when I was in college, I wanted to work in live television. So I majored in media management and started out, you know, I graduated college into the writer's strike. And so I wasn't sure where that was going to land me, but I ended up working with a wonderful digital media company right out the gate and kind of got my feet wet in professional, in the professional world, um, and then moved into live television. So I spent a number of years working on, you know, Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve and the American Music Awards as, you know, production assistant, a script assistant. Um, and then like, how do you go from there to tech? <laughs> you know, it was, I spent a number of months unemployed, just really, I mean, sending my resume out to every single company that I could. And that's when I ended up at a startup incubator, um, working as an executive assistant to their president and CEO. And that's where I really started to develop, you know, my love of tech. I love being around it <laughs> than that. Um, <laughs> um, and from there, I moved into mobile gaming, where I spent five to six years uh, working my way up from a customer support person into good for you capacity than a manager capacity and that was where i think my career really took a a turn in a good way because you know the company startups grow and change uh, you know something you and i have talked about and my role grew and changed into a project manager role now that was nothing that was on my radar i knew that i liked organization and helping projects make it across the finish line. I really viewed myself as someone who can partner with a visionary and give their plans legs. I knew that, but I didn't know what that role was. Project manager, like oh. it makes so much sense now. Um, and so I worked as a project manager and had a wonderful team around me who supported me in getting my PMP certification. Um, and that kind of changed, it gave me the the confidence to really like project manage anything. So, you know, the, the quote, um, dodgeball, right. If you can, you can dodge, dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of 
had to embrace that because after working in gaming for so long, and it was something I was very familiar with, very comfortable with, I caught up with the folks who gave me my first job and moved into broadcast operations. So I was like, I thought I knew about technical project management was like, this was deep tech. We're talking about, you know, like satellites and broadcasting. And I was very intimidated, but I just applied my methodology, you know, start breaking down the project into tasks, do the thing, did that. Wanted to move to New York. Why not? Um, so coast to coast. I did. I Head was back like, again. Spent a lot of time on the West Coast, literally sight unseen. Moved to New York, got a job um, working as a business operations manager out there, which was a totally different type of project management, right? Instead of deep tech, I was working on podcasts <laughs> and uh, membership programs and you name it. And that's really, really where I started to learn, like, you can project manage anything if you have the fundamentals down. Then life takes me back to the West Coast. I end up, not end up, that makes it sound great. I find myself working back in broadcast operations with the same group. They're amazing, amazing. Um, And then enter marketer hire. Right. I was at the end of a project management role. I was contract, wasn't able to renew my contract, which is fine. That's the nature of contract work. Yeah. And I I had an opportunity at two startups presented with me. And um, I was actually talking about this with someone last week about career and how do you approach your career and when when is the right time to move and how do you move? And I kind of live my life by do what scares you most, because that is where you will grow the most professionally. And, you know, like my husband and I, I've had moments where I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. This feels so far out of reach. And he's like, do what you tell everyone else to do. (laughs) And so he's encouraged me back, you know, into do the scary thing and startup 10 people, right? I'd worked at larger startups. I didn't end up being the best decision for my career. Because- I'm liking I'm liking your life mottos. Like if you can dodge a wrench, you can dodge a ball and do what scares you the most. Just follow those and you'll be fine. You'll yeah. be fine. Totally. Don't get so- hit with the wrenches. <laughs> so just for context, what does what does your company do? Just so we can situate it. Marketer Hire is a, a marketplace for marketers. So if you think of hiring, right? You know, especially in the marketing world, I will say it's hiring takes time, right? If you can think of, I need to hire a marketer on my team. If you're spinning it up, you're looking to hire a full-time employee. How long is that going to take? I mean, I know doing recruiting myself, if I'm hustling and I'm going as fast as humanly possible, I'm going to say three weeks is probably the fastest you can move. Now, it's usually much longer, right? You want to make sure you find the right person. Interview processes take forever. Marketer hire enters. We have an incredible platform of extremely talented freelancers. And if you came to me right today, Emily, you said, I need a marketer. I could get you one in as little as 48 hours. And it's someone we know is going to be amazing, We're going to match you with someone incredible and you can literally just start working. Wow. So 
when I think of marketer hire, of course, I think of marketing, but I also think of the future of work. Um, and we're really breaking the mold of FTE versus going with an agency, right? Which are very, very expensive. We can do that faster and at a better price point. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, so like I've used Upwork and Fiverr and things like that. Mm -hmm. How does this compare? Uh, well, I would say first off, when you look at Upwork and Fiverr, right, they're very broad marketplaces. Yeah. Um, and I would say the the guarantee of the quality isn't necessarily as there, where we only accept the top 3% of marketers who apply to be in our network. So we're very careful with like who we're working with um, so that we can guarantee you an excellent freelance. So you're not going to hire someone that, you know, you're like, I'm going to take a chance on this guy. There is no chance. We're going to, we're going to give you the best person. Okay. Thank you for that. I did not mean to hijack this podcast, but I might, I might talk to you afterward because I, I'm always looking for, for marketers. Yeah. Anyway, so to the run-up to marketer hire, you had like EA positions, project management positions, all of which I find get easily confused with the chief of staff role. So talk to me about, was it 10 people when you started? Was that the one you're at yes. now? So talk to me about coming in as an EA project manager background, 10 person, I'm going to be a chief of staff now. How does that happen? How does that work? How does that happen? I think I was just reading some articles about chief of staffs because it's fascinating to me what everyone's experience is who works in a chief of staff capacity. And if I look way back to like the first jobs I was applying for in tech, the ones I always wanted were the Jack Jillaball trades role, yeah. right? And I loved that. I loved the diversity in my daily tasks. And so when you kind of think about an EA and then you think about a project manager and there were the, all of those are very multifaceted roles. Um, having worked in that in operations, I knew a few things. I knew I loved operations. I, of course, love project management. I love really partnering with people and helping push, you know, large strategic visions into the light and giving them legs, for lack of better terms. What role can you do all of that in without kind of being in a specific function in the chief of staff role? really it puts them all into like one pot and you're drawing from different pieces of your experience every day. Like how can I even put into words, like I'm still using skills I gained in live television, right? You have to think on your feet, right? You're, you're meeting new people all the time. And I was able to draw on all of my experiences in one role versus one piece of it, right? I, it's not just project management or technical project management or support. It is supporting my principal, right? My CEO. Um, but it's all of those things at the same time, kind of shuffling them throughout the days, weeks, months. I've been here for four years uh, wow. this week, actually. Oh, congratulations. That's Thank awesome. you. Well, Thank it you. sounds like, you know, People always say, what is the what is the career track I take to be a chief of staff, Emily? And I go, you know, there there isn't one. Almost a diverse set of experiences is going to help you more. And so mm -hmm. you being able to like pull this and like pull this part out from there and put it all together and then know I'm in a meeting 
this hour and I'm going to need to use these types of skills. And then I'm going to switch gears because I'm going to a different meeting and be a whole different role. That's, that's an important part of being chief of staff too. 100%. The gear changes are, it's been something I've been thinking about a lot lately is you really have to be able to pivot from like deep HR and people work and then turn over. And now we're looking at product roadmaps and building new workflows and then change over. And there's a term for it and I can never remember it, but like the changing. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it can it can it can be challenging, but I think it's also something in a chief of staff role that you have to be able to handle quickly. Um, And it's not always easy, right? Sometimes you're like, I need to go stare at a wall for five minutes (laughs) and really reset and then move on. But you have to be able to do it quickly. And I think too, for me, you mentioned like HR and then, you know, product or sales. It's, it can be such a different pace and it can be Mm -hmm. such a different um, lens you're applying, I guess. So in HR, I remember, okay, there were certain times when in HR, everything has to be pitch perfect. Like you need to get the facts straight and accurate and documented and you need to take your time to get it right. And then you would switch over to something like um, product rollout where we're trying to go fast and we're getting the MVP out. So it's like, have a bias for done, let's go. And it's just such a different mentality. The paces are wildly different, right? And exactly in the HR world, it's, you move, you have to move quick, right? You have to address things, but there are, processes that are best practices, of course, and you want to follow those. And then there are legal compliance processes that you have to go through with a fine tooth comb and you can't rush through them. So, you know, you start your day, you're going at as fast of a snail's pace as you can possibly (laughs) go. And then you switch over into, we'll say a code red channel, something broke. We have to fix it 15 minutes ago. And so it's like, all right, let's change gears. Let's do it. And then like go back to the compliance. <laughs> Slow it down. Yeah. Slow down. Oh my gosh. Um, it's like riding in a go-kart. You're giving me flashbacks to like hot fixes where it's like, do we roll it back? Do we roll it? Like, oh. I think so, I just yeah. want anxiety at the different <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. So you're like at this 10 person company. So and you've been there for four years. Yeah, so, so we are no longer 10. We've, we've definitely grown exponentially. Uh, and it's been really cool to be a part of that process. How too. has your the scope of what you work on changed? Because I'm imagining at 10, you're doing pretty much everything. I think at 10, everyone's doing everything. Yeah. And it's a couple of different things come to mind. A, it's growing a company. And how do you do that? Well, because there's a lot of gear shifts in in my experience, you know, working as I'd say a t- team of 10 to 15, maybe up to 20 feels very small and everybody's talking to everybody every day. You know, you know exactly what everyone's up to because you're all working on the same stuff. And then I think when we hit around the 25 to 35 mark, it like it felt different. It felt like a bigger company, which I mean, it's not a 50,000 person company, but that one felt different. And then around like 50 to 60 felt different. And at that point, you know, you're, you're trying to scale your processes, right? You can, 
you can keep things together pretty easily on a small team, but now building, not now, but back then building scalable processes to, we want to grow the team. We want to grow the team quickly. Like everything needs to be working. (laughs) Yeah. Building that, like I've learned, I've taught myself low code tools. I can automate and it's really fun being able to go in and build the thing that I want to build. Um, and learning around that. And now we have AI that's entered the yeah. mix and really utilizing that to kind of help get through a lot of the 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 brainstorming of a lot of things and the drafting of a lot of things. I can expedite those processes much faster with the help of some of these incredible AI tools. We yeah, the ideation phase is definitely like, hmm, something in this direction. Oh, like, yes, yes, yes. That's what, yeah. I, that's what I meant to think of. Um, do you guys have uh, a head of operations and a head of and or a head of HR today? Uh, no, we have. Well, it's interesting. So I started as the director of operations. Okay, and then the company grew. So we have um, we have heads of the departments, and then we have our group of co-founders who kind of work together and oversee all of it. So. Um, we've seen some shifts in that over time, which has been really interesting um, and very cool to be a part of seeing that. But um, we did have someone in a more like VP of ops role, which was really fun to work with. And for HR, you know, I'm the one who manages that at the company right now with the support of some amazing consultants who, yeah. who, work with my questions all day long, every day. Um, but, you know, that's having like an internal person who can do it. And I really like working with the people of the company. Um, like I care a lot about every single person that we, that I work with and um, being able to support in an HR capacity has been, it's, been really interesting and fun because I at Kabam I manage this huge team, you know, and I love that manager relationship I had with people. And now I'm not the manager of everybody here, but I love being able to support and coach and help talk through um, all the different types of situations that can come up. Celebrating things, working through transitions, you name it. I'm I'm happy to partner with with folks. Yes. And the reason I ask is because I one of the most common questions I get is, Emily, what is the difference between a chief of staff and a chief operating officer or a chief people officer? And the answer is, it depends, which is everyone's favorite answer, but it really does. And so I'm always curious, especially with the evolution of a company, how that how that goes. I think I really dug into that, too, because um, I wanted to understand it, right? Like the chief of staff role, it has been around forever. Um, but it's really taking off, I think, in the last like three to five years. And so I even when I was working in New York, I was I kept seeing these chief of staff roles come up. Like, what what is this? What is this? And it literally was everything. I was like, okay, you have my ear, but I know a lot of startups, especially also, they have to answer the question of do you go COO? Do you go COS? Um, who manages HR? And um, 
it really just depends on the company and what they're they're looking for, I think. I think so too. I mean, I it sounded like I had a similar uh, position as you in that I was the HR generalist essentially, but we had a third party um, company we work with for, you know, like state specific compliance and all these different things. I could go to them as a resource, yeah. but I was kind of the the person in-house. So great. Exactly. Okay. Okay. And then tell us or talk a little bit about maybe your principal and, and your working style, because you didn't know your principal before you got there, right? I didn't. I didn't. I met, um, I met him as part of the interview process. Um, and I think we are very, very different in complementary ways. Um, I am I'm bubbly. I'm like an optimistic person. I I like to have fun. I love dropping gifts in Slack <laughs> or gifs. Hot debate. Um, and he he's definitely I would say more stoic. And so um, we work very very well together. I think part of that is years of trust mm -hmm. uh, that we we've, we've spent um, working on a number all kinds of things in a startup world together. Um, but our, our communication styles are very different. And he's actually very much mentored me in communication, especially in executive communication. It's much different than as a project manager when you're writing reports that are pages and pages and pages long. You know, the ones where you email them and you're like, no one's going to no read. One's, yeah. Um, and he's really helped me think about how I'm phrasing things, how you get to the point. And I think I had this eye-opening moment once a couple of years ago where I was managing my team and someone had sent me, it was one of those days, you know, where you're doing 50,000 things in a very short amount of time. And so I can read three sentences, literally I had three sentences before I had to move on to the next thing. And uh, my teammate sent me a very beautifully written summary. And I felt so bad that I just, I didn't have the time at the time to be able to sit down and fully digest yeah. this thing. And then I, a light bulb went on and I was like, oh, <laughs> I get it now. <laughs> I spent a lot of time working with a career coach on executive communication and how to properly do that. Like keep all the information at the top, you can provide the context later, but ha being in the position of, I have three sentences <laughs> worth of time, right? Right now was, it really framed how I think about things and how I share things in my written communication. I think that's a huge takeaway. So for folks like assume that people, you have three sentences, assume you have three sentences with people, because most of the time you do, especially when you're working with Executives, they don't have time to read. They might want to, but they don't have time to read all of the source material the first go around. So I think team that up, my um, my principal, like we thought in bullet points. And so it was literally like, boom, 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 boom. And it might just be, you know, not even complete sentences, but we got to a point where we're like, I know what you mean. I know exactly what you want here. Um, and I would also give him like, here's the thin slice of the scenario here is the decision that's needed. Here is by when. And I would be like, A, option A, boom, option B, option C. And he would like reply with one letter back. And I'd be like, all right, here we go, team. Here's how we're going to execute this. That's, it's so interesting you say that because, you know, I, I 
do you have a similar cadence um, instead of, you know, we, we prioritize asynchronous work, right? We're in Slack all day, every day, and um, working with a very busy CEO, you have to be able to communicate quickly. And so what started as a, do- a, <laughs> a beautiful doc that I would have for myself, I started this was a couple of years ago now, I was like, what if I just dropped the things I want to chat about in bullet points in Slack so he can just respond in thread? Boom, 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 boom. And I started doing that. And we still use that way of communicating sometimes when like we can't sit on a call. I'll just, these are the things I need right now. And he'll go through and drop his responses. And then if we need to brainstorm, you know, we can do that as well, but it really helps. I love that tactic. We use that too, because, you know, you're talking about like accounting and then product and then sales operations. And so in our slacks, I'd be like, one, here's item one, boom, two, here's item two. And he could respond in whatever order he wanted to. And, you know, anything he had some thoughts on, I would just pick those up. So yeah. We're I get really start. excited when I hear the Slack chirps kind of like, I'm like, we're moving, we're moving. Now, your principal, you talked about kind of his leadership styles and complementary styles. And, you know, you came in in, um, I don't want to say a junior role, but kind of early in the company had to build your leadership and your and your kind of leadership presence and gravitas up and all that. And he was instrumental in that in, in one area and one scenario in particular. So can you share that one? Yeah. Um, this was a, it, it's like a very prominent memory to me because um I I like to I like to solve my problems before they they get to my manager. And it's really interesting when the CEO is your manager, right? Because there's a lot of the like, I don't know what the word is, but maybe intimidation. Yeah. Um for some folks, right? The CEO pings you and you drop everything and you're totally. like, in Sure, there's an element of that. I think it's inescapable, but he's also my manager. And I know that he he cares. And there was he must have picked up on it because I like to keep my my cards and my insecurities close to my chest. Um, and I can't remember the exact scenario, but when he he told me, like, you are not like a second class executive here. He was like, stand on your own two feet really gave me the motivation and the the confidence. I don't know why I was so scared. Um, I I mean, my co-founders here are incredible. They're very successful entrepreneurs. This is nobody's first rodeo. And I never worked that closely with a founder and helped build a company. And so I, I don't know what made him say that. Um, I should ask him, but it was exactly when I needed it. He, he was like, you're not a second rate, you know, executive, right? You're in this role for a reason. And that really stuck with me because, you know, something you and I chatted about was like building past the imposter syndrome. Right. And it took a lot of work on myself to, to not be intimidated, like all every person here, they're uh, like, they're wonderful people. There is no reason to be intimidated. 
Um, and I worked with a career coach and this one piece of advice she gave me was, so I, I still think about it daily. And she said, your body's physical response to stress and anxiety is the same thing as excitement. It's how you frame it in your head. Yeah. And I kept that on a post-it <laughs> for my, until it fell off. And I was like, okay, maybe that's the universe being like, you finally absorbed it. Um, but reframing that really, really helped. I, I was over-preparing for stuff in such a a way that I was, I would freeze in the moment and couldn't deviate from my script, you know? And so she said, she helped me rephrase that in my mind. And then (laughs) I think probably the only person professionally who was like, maybe you should prepare a little bit less. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes. So, okay. I I blinked at her. (laughs) What? And I, I was like, all right. We've got an all hands meeting coming up. I'm only going to read through my notes twice. <laughs> and usually, I mean, I just spend. 12 times. Yeah, me, I was like, yeah, let's do it again. And after that meeting, um, someone on my team was like, wow, like that was so great. And I was like, you're kidding. <laughs> yeah. The one that I intentionally prepared less. I don't want to say that. I didn't over prepare. And I, I felt much more like myself. I remember even LinkedIn with you, like, I don't know the questions. And then last night, as I was laying in bed, kind of thinking about what we were going to chat about today, I had to be like, don't, don't overthink it. Yeah. Don't think it. No, that's, so, that's too funny because I would do the same thing with board meetings. Every quarter, I'd be like, okay, once the date is set, like everything's like, okay, I'm going to be nervous until, I don't know, November 12th or whatever. <laughs> and then I would like fret about it and prepare and over-prepare and go through endless contingency plans. Like, what if they ask this? And what if I'm like, and my coach was finally like, Emily, what is the appropriate amount of preparation? And I was like, ooh, not what I'm doing right now. So let me change this. And she was like, why don't you try this? Just for just for one board meeting. Yeah, for a year. Give it a try. Same thing happened. I was like on my game. I felt looser. I felt more adaptable. And like three people afterward, unsolicited, were like, you showed up really well in that meeting. And I was like, wow, mind blown. So that is too funny. That is, I'm so glad that there is like you had this same experience. Totally. Yeah. Very affirming for me. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I mean, then go with your instincts. And I think there is that that happy, like the sweet spot between, you know, go through the the questions that you're likely going to be asked, kind of think through them, but not be, you know, so scripted. I was like verbatim scripting at the beginning. No, bullet points of like say mm-hmm. this, this, and this. And it's so stressful. Yeah, I'm less stressed out now that I don't write everything. Like, take a breath. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Breathing is always helpful, guys. Like, breathing Mm -hmm. in presentations, in meetings, in life, breathing is good for you. So, so breathe. Yeah. Then you think you need to, and then you'll be fine. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, my dad listens to all of my podcasts, and he will give me like play by play feedback for all of them, which is endearing. But his overriding feedback is Emily slow down. Like you've got to speak slower. And I'm like, yes, I know. I'm just a fast talker. But when I was in big meetings like that, I really had to make a conscious effort of you need 
to slow down. And it feels like you're speaking painfully slowly, but that's how people can understand you. Right. hundred yeah. percent. I'm a fast speaker myself. I actually met up with a girl I went to high school with last year. I hadn't seen her in years. And I remember about her and I that we would talk so fast. And the second we got to the restaurant, we were speaking like a hundred miles an hour. And it was just so funny to me that we just clicked right back into it. That's so, yeah. And it's funny because I don't know I do it. And then one time I was working with someone and she was um, she grew up in the South. And so they speak at a much different cadence. And she mm-hmm. was like, Emily, I need you to talk slower. I don't understand you. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. So I am so sorry. I would never want anyone to not understand me or be confused simply mm-hmm. by my, my speaking speed or cadence. But that was a big wake up call where, oh, you, like people might not understand you. Like, and they might not say it because you're the chief of staff and they might let you go, but you need to make sure you're you're being understood. Now I'm super self-conscious about how fast I'm talking right now, but hopefully it's <laughs> you're good for people who understand. Um, yes, very cool. You mentioned being intimidated at the beginning of your career. And then mm-hmm. there was this inflection point where you became chief of staff and then your team grew and there were people who came in where they only knew you as chief of staff and they got, they had a certain reaction to you. So talk to me about kind of that evolution where it's like, oh, how I felt about others is now happening to me. It, it's really interesting to go through because I remember, you know, working up through tech, these executives, the CEO, the COO, the CFO, they were always they were great, but I didn't work with them on the daily. And they were these like unobtainable people who pedestal chief things that I didn't <laughs> quite understand. And um, I, I felt, you know, I'd, I'd blush, right? When they, they'd like talk to me, like, oh. ah, like and then. I started working directly with the C-suite and the paradigm shift to me, I think was like, these are my coworkers. They're people too. Uh, They're not robots. They have feelings and they're experiencing life. Um, You know, some are starting families, moving, you know, you name it. They're going through life just like everybody else. The roles are different. Um, And I really had to think about that for a moment. It's almost like when you you meet a celebrity for the first time and you're like, ah, like, oh my, you you do so many things, public facing, like you're so scary. And then you're like, wait, that's just a person. Like, totally. Your sort has cats, right? Like I have a dog um, and really working with the C-suite on the daily, like they're the people that I would go to for questions, right? And I was working predominantly with them. Um, that that was a, I think, a very healthy mind shift um, because I don't think, I don't speak for every C-level person in the world, but I, the the folks that I work with don't want to be intimidating and sit up in a high tower. But the second a C starts before your title, a chief of anything, I think there's automatically a pause there. Um, And so 
I felt that a little bit myself. Um, I think more from an HR capacity, right? I'm chatting with people, but um, someone once once said like, hey, you should probably ping people if you're going to put time on their calendars because... Oh, yeah. (laughs) From HR. You might be scaring people. And to me, right... The girl who really loves dropping a Michelle Tanner gif of you got it, dude, in Slack was potentially scaring people. And that's the last thing I would ever, ever, ever want to do. Um, I want to catch up with the folks on my team. And I had to start pinging, hey, so-and-so, I'm going to put 15 minutes on your calendar to talk about this. Yeah. Um, or chat, all good. Yeah. Chat, it's all good. Um, and that was that was an interesting one for me. Um, and I know, like, especially when HR pings people, right? It's very easy to assume the worst. And that wasn't even a thing really on my radar because I've worked so closely with HR um, in my various roles that if they threw time on my calendar, like, all right, cool. Like, what are we talking about? Uh, so it was it's it's a little bit different, but it's something that I am cognizant of and I don't want to I don't want to freak people out. Uh, so that was that's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember I mean, titles precede people. And so you just it's just kind of the way of the world sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I it was funny you mentioned celebrities and I remember um, Jennifer Lawrence was being interviewed. So she, you know, she's famous for uh, Winter's Bone and X-Men and um, Silver Linings Playbook or whatever that movie was. I think she won an Oscar for. And she said, you know, when people see me on the street and they start screaming and shouting and crying, she's like, that's not a normal reaction to another human being. Like it's very, uh, it's very startling and off-putting. And I thought, oh, that's interesting because you know, when in my world, when I'm around, like, oh my gosh, like the founder is there. And oh my gosh, you know, the board member is there. Uh, Certain people can have reactions that like, that's not normal. They're a human being. That's not a normal reaction to people, but we see it all the time. So it's just Mm -hmm. an interesting social experiment. Is, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So bonus question, is Taysom Hill the chief of staff of the New Orleans Saints? (laughs) thousand percent what when he's a swiss army knife he's a swiss army knife he can do what can't he do yeah i was thinking like can he kick is he a kicker he someone needs to call up the saints and be like hey we need Taysom to kick on sunday just to see just to well i bet he would kick the ball out of the park i bet he would yeah he's on special teams quarterback i've seen him play wide receiver and i think running back probably i'm like it does all of yeah and he does all of them like above average so i'm like what is your deal dude (laughs) trying to make people look bad and i'm like oh here we go (laughs) yeah i remember my team seattle seahawks we played the saints and they they would like switch out quarterbacks but whenever Taysom was in i was like i don't know what's going to happen and neither did the the defense (laughs) and that's why they put him in because he could do any one of like seven different things go any which way yeah he's a Totally chief of staff, right? Yeah. And he's like, and to like build on this analogy, he's kind of like the right-hand person to the quarterback, no? Because he's like technically the backup quarterback, but he plays all these different, all these different supporting roles to 
to the quarterback slash CEO. So yeah, that's true. It's like the hand of the king. <laughs> Game of Thrones. Yes. Hand of the queen. You can be Tyrion. Oh boy. So boy. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not all the way, but uh, very cool. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> just the good parts. Just the good that's parts. We won't go into that, into the details, because that's a, not a family friendly show in a lot of episodes. <laughs> great characters, though. Great story. Great mythos. Anyway, I, I digress. Leslie, thank you so much for being here. I love, love, love our conversation. You are welcome back anytime to talk about Chief staff to talk about football, anything you want. But thank you so much. Thank you, Emily. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 